Welcome to The Router, episode one. Thanks for joining my co-host John and I's weekly conversation on anything tech or cybersecurity related. This episode, we discuss Apple's recent big announcement. We'll also talk about how corporations can benefit from having a security-centric culture and more. Hope you enjoy, and thanks for tuning in to The Router. All right. Hey, John. How you doing today? I'm doing all right, Jason. How you doing today? I'm doing swell. Uh, excited to get started here on episode number one. Are you excited? Exciting. The inaugural episode. Looking forward. This is the Router Podcast. Uh, you and I, John, we talk a lot about tech and cyber things and just all things technology. And I think we have great conversations and we always seem to come out of them learning something. So... Uh, this is just an opportunity for us to capture some of those conversations and maybe try to, you know, educate some listeners on some topics that they hear or uh, are familiar with but aren't really sure about. Yep, sounds good. Let's do it. Let's do it. So the topic that we were discussing earlier today, you and I, is Apple's announcement that they are moving their flagship laptops to using ARM architecture CPUs, uh, which uh, seems very exciting. I think if anybody is noticing the headlines, it sounds like something that they should take note of. And I, you know, I have some background building computers and buying computers. I wouldn't in any way say I'm an IT professional that's uh, comparing different CPU performance characteristics. But for the most part, when it comes to CPUs for computers, it's Intel and it's AMD. It's Pepsi or Coke. Mm -hmm. And so when I saw this headline, I, I have to be honest, I had to educate myself a little bit on what exactly is ARM and why is this important? So with that, uh, John, I, I know that you know a little bit more about this than I do. Could you maybe give us a synopsis or a summary of what ARM is? Yeah, so so Jason, in a nutshell, uh, ARM architecture is referring to a general set of architecture principles made by this company called ARM Holdings. They're based out of the UK. Uh, everyone is familiar with, with Intel. Everyone's familiar with AMD. You know, we know Intel inside. Uh, we know AMD from their, their CPUs and their graphical processing units, their GPUs. ARM architecture is kind of just an alternative to those two. Uh, it's originally based on a thing called the Reduced Instruction Set Computer Principles, or RISC, R-I-S-C. And it's just really a different way for the CPU and your computer to operate. Mm -hmm. there's, there's advantages and disadvantages to both ways. Sure. Um, but ARM has kind of put its stake in the ground on this RISC and has developed RISC over the past, uh, I want to say, at least 30 years they've been yeah. around doing this. Yeah. Really just it's an alternative to those main competitors in the uh, CPU industry. Yeah. And, you know, as I as I was researching this and kind of using that analogy in my mind of Pepsi versus Coke, and originally I thought to myself, okay, well, maybe like ARM is the RC Cola, right? But no, it's, it's more the Red Bull, right? It really is different they're both drinks they both have a lot of sugar but really i don't think somebody would put coke and red bull in the same category sure so i don't know maybe i've gone too far with that analogy but obviously apple has made a big stink about this and i thought that it was worth bringing up because i'm sure other people are noticing this in the news and i think the big 
shocker for a lot of people if they don't already know is we actually already use arm architecture every day every day probably more than we use those intel and amd chips <laughs> yeah uh, arm the arm architecture is what's used in in smartphones today that whenever you see uh for example the the qualcomm snapdragon listed as the cpu in a in a smartphone and which is what uh, predominantly the the flagship phones are used you know samsung uses them oneplus uses them google uses them uh those are CPUs built by a company called Qualcomm, but they're u- they're they're using ARM architecture, and they are ARM CPUs uh, made by Qualcomm used in flagship cell phones. Good segue, actually, right there about you know why this Apple announcement is so exciting for a lot of Apple enthusiasts. <laughs> is it's it's not so much that they're switching manufacturers or they're they're you know they're going from to use my analogy again, to going from Coke to Pepsi, it's that uh, ARM licenses their design out to these different manufacturers. And so by Apple announcing uh, that they're moving their computers to ARM, which is where their cell phones already are, uh, based on you know yep. what you just and said. And have been for years, yep. And have been for years. Uh, since the existence, every single iPhone actually was one of the uh, details that I caught in my research. The read between the lines here is that Apple is going to license that architecture and make their own CPUs. So, you know, as, as probably a lot of people know, one of the benefits to Apple and their business model is that they do everything in-house they make the software, they make the hardware, they, they do it all, and it's why everything works so seamlessly together. Now, this one very key piece of the puzzle in the CPU, which is how computers get all their processing, that is now going to be done in-house, uh, and they won't have to outsource that. Uh, outsources in quotes, obviously, some manufacturer, <laughs> some factory somewhere is going to make it, but... You know, the, the fact of the matter is they can design it, they can decide over it, they can implement it, you know, how best they see fit, and they will be truly uh, an all, you know, one-stop shop for all things computer. Um, sure, yeah, you know, there's a, there's a big difference, and I think Apple has proved this successfully uh, over the years. There's a big difference between uh, a company going out and buying a lot of Intel products to put into their own product versus having Intel make them a product, which is mm-hmm. probably more or less what's going to happen with this. They, they may not go out and buy foundries, but they're going to have some of the big uh, semiconductor manufacturers make them their model chips, Yeah, which uh, it just, again, lets them bring them everything in-house. It lets them control all the, the inputs and outputs, and they have a just absolute control over all, all parts of it, as opposed to whatever Intel or AMD would let them have control over. Right, right. You know, the more and more I read uh, this article, uh, some of the other articles that I read related to it, watched um, a video or two, I did find it very fascinating um, and an interesting move. I don't know what it means for the rest of the industry which was another big topic you know what does this mean for microsoft what does this mean for pc well i was gonna say and that's the thing no one knows and i think that apple has been a trendsetter for many years now 
I, my, the way I'm an Android guy, I have Android devices. I have had Android. I had the original iPhone when it came out in, wow. in what was that, 2006 or 2007. That was the last iPhone I ever owned. <laughs> um, I think I went back to a BlackBerry after that, and then it was Android ever since. I've always had the opinion that Apple may not be the first to innovate something, but when they do, they do it the best. Sure. And they do it the most integrated, and it's the most seamless integration yeah. of that particular technology. Uh, I, I'm excited, and I honestly think it's probably going to push a lot of other manufacturers to start using ARM processors in places where they wouldn't normally consider it. Yeah, maybe. There are fundamental differences between Apple and Microsoft. So right now, I think the headline is very catchy. It's very noteworthy. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, I really do think it's just going to be another choice that you get as a consumer. Uh, Apple has already said that they aren't completely getting rid of their Intel-based computers so, you know, I, I, I don't know if this is as much of an earth shaker as the Twitter sphere and the news kind of made it sound at first, but I do think it's going to offer another choice. I think it's going to continue to push the industry and, you know, we'll see what comes of it. Yeah. And, you know, in the end of the day, I think uh, options from the consumer perspective is really it's only a good thing. Um, yeah. Options drive competition and competition drives cheaper prices it drives innovation uh it, it's a good thing yeah i'm actually very intrigued i'm, I'm glad we uh, brought this one up uh i hope our listeners learn something if, if you learn nothing else you know this arm architecture that apple is incorporating is already being used every day by you and your smartphone and other personal electronic devices that uh, have computing power and maybe we'll get some pretty sweet laptops out of this pretty soon i don't know we'll see uh maybe i'll consider buying my first apple yeah if the performance of the recent ipad pros is anything to uh, compare against i am excited sure. for what the uh, the future holds for the, sure. the apple products i want to take a break now and when we come back on the other side we'll switch topics and talk about energy sound good sound good to me let's get into it uh we're back on the router and i want to switch topics a little bit now and talk about something a little bit more in my wheelhouse which uh, has to do with utilities and the power grid and i came across two articles this last week the first one uh, was about a ransomware attack that hit a european energy company called nl E-N-E-L. I'm not sure if I'm saying that right. Uh, But basically, the ransomware uh, was known as Snake. Uh, It infected uh, the corporate computers. Uh, But because of the cybersecurity culture uh, that has been established inside of NL, they were able to uh, mitigate the damage and and really confine uh, its attack and take care of it very quickly. And it was actually quite impressive. And that's actually what the article was primarily about was when you have a strong security culture, you are able to handle these things and not 
result in millions of dollars of lost revenue and days of downtime like we saw with a company like Maersk, uh, the shipping container company back in 2017. John, could you maybe tell our listeners what ransomware is if they're not familiar? I'm sure they've heard the term before. Sure, sure. So the term ransomware has been showing up a lot in the news lately. So ransomware is is a type of malware. Uh, malware is, a, is any software that's intentionally designed to cause damage to a computer, a server, a client, or a computer network. What makes ransomware unique is that damage is often in the form of encryption of important files and data. Uh, so this malware gets onto the target's computer networks and it manages to lock up their files and makes them inaccessible until the victim pays a ransom to the, the person that infected their files, which is where it gets the name ransomware from. Uh, it's a very malicious type of malware. It's been making a lot of waves lately in the news yeah. because a lot of big name companies have been falling victim to it. And email, as we said, is just one of the more recent victims of it. Yeah. So the word ransomware is actually a portmanteau. It's a, it's a mashup of ransom and software. It's it's very intuitive. And like you said, it, it's been in the news quite a bit lately. Uh, there's been multiple ransomware attacks on organizations and governments, and a lot of them fall victim to it because they have a flat network, as people like to say where their corporate, their HR, their operations are all sitting on the same subnets, the same network. There's no segmentation between the different groups within the organization. And so when this ransomware, whenever it shows up on the network, it's able to pivot and move to all the computers within the organization because it's a flat network. But what we see here with NL and because of their strong security culture, they had a, a well-segmented network that they were able to isolate and the ransomware never was able to infect any of the other organization networks. So the HR, the operations, the other parts. So I, I think that's very hopeful. I think that shows that people are starting to get it. People are starting to move in the right direction I, for years People just treated security as, oh, this headache that I have to deal with, this chore that I have to do. But, you know, if you do it right and you do it starting at the top from your board of directors and you factor it into your plans, it can be very effective and really save you, you know, what could be millions of dollars. Yeah, you know, and that's a great point that's being made is that setting up the corporate security policy, and it's, this applies to individuals as well. This is ransomware is absolutely a thing that is uh, that can impact you uh, as an individual. You, you save your tax returns on your computer, and if you are infected with it with a ransomware, you may not be able to access your old tax returns, and then you're kind of in a bind if you ever need a copy of them. So part of an overall effective security policy is to create backups frequently and to create multiple backups of your data and store them in different places if possible. And this looks like a great example of a, of a European utility company that did just that. And when they were infected with a powerful piece of ransomware, they were able to bounce back quickly and with relatively minimal disruptions and expense, which is really the, you know, the, at the end of the day, that's the key with minimal expense. Yep, keep the business going. Absolutely. Yep. So just to, to wrap this up a little bit about Snake, uh, the, the particular piece of ransomware that has been found 
out in the wild, as they say. Um, it was originally investigated by uh, a couple of different uh, cybersecurity agencies, Malware Hunter Team and Dragos, which is down the road for me, actually, here in Maryland. Interesting, yeah. Um, Snake, in its capabilities, really has a strong desire to infect what are called Industrial Control Systems, ICS. And basically, it's the idea of the systems that control industrial pieces of equipment. So your electric utility and all the safety functions that go on there, a factory um, and, and the systems that operate the factory. Those are all industrial control systems, which use computers, but they, they typically use like a, a very proprietary scaled down version of a computer. So when you're attacking an ICS an industry control system, you're really doing something very specific. Uh, usually with a lot of research, um, you really got to do your due diligence uh, if, you're, if you're wanting to attack that. So Snake targets those types of systems, and that's why it really made a, a big stink when it did. One of the neat things about Snake that I appreciated learning about was that one of the first things it does when it gets onto a system is it actually checks the internal domains and IPs where it's at to make sure that it's infecting the right thing, <laughs> which is so polite of it, right? <laughs> <laughs> polite to make sure that it's attacking the right target. Yeah. yeah. Uh, are we egging the right house? Oh, no. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, egging the wrong house first gets the uh, the police called on you before you get the egg the house you wanted to egg. Exactly. You want to you wanna make it as, as effective, and people spend a lot of money and time developing these these threats, unfortunately, and they want to make sure they do it right. So, yeah, there is something very mm -hmm. interesting. We saw something similar. We don't have to talk about it now, but we saw something similar with Stuxnet as well, where the actual malware is able to kind of do a status check, say, hey, am I where I want to be? And if not, you know, it goes dormant or, or disappears because it says, no, no, this isn't my target. I need to sit. So... The last piece here is a, is a similar attack happened to Honda uh, a couple months before. So Enel and Honda both hit with Snake Ransomware, both able to mitigate the outcomes and, and take care of it rather quickly. Yep. This leads a little bit into the next topic, which I really want to get to because you, John, and I have talked about this and are pre-episode one podcast episodes <laughs> uh, and it's that the executive office and the doe have banned the purchase of equipment from nations that are considered adversaries to the united states for installation on what's called the bulk power system the bulk power system for those of you who don't know is the the main arteries of our electric sector so not who you pay your monthly electrical bill to per se, but who you pay your monthly electrical bill to, where they get their power from. Uh, that's the bulk power system, and it it spans the entire United States. It's a it's a whole big topic that I'd, I'd love to get into at another point. But the the point being here is that the executive office issued an order back in May uh, that said no more. Uh, are electric utility companies that operate on the bulk power system able to purchase equipment from 
you know, nations that are our adversaries. And the DOE this last week decided on what those six nations are. Two of them, I think, are pretty obvious. Uh, that would be China and Russia. Next three, maybe, are also kind of obvious, but maybe less obvious in this space. That's Cuba, North Korea, and Iran. And then lastly was Venezuela, which I'll be quite frank, I was a little surprised to see on there. She did not realize they had a big industry in bulk power systems and manufacturing anyway. Yes, but more power to them. So anyway, no pun intended. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Good one. <laughs> so the story here is that electric companies aren't going to be able to buy equipment from, from these countries anymore, or at least for a time. There is some flexibility in it. Pre-qualified vendors or equipment will be able to get through still a little hairy how that's going to work itself out but really what's trying to be addressed here is securing your supply chain supply chain is designing a piece of equipment getting the first pieces put together getting the second pieces together uh, a third party agency who puts those first two pieces together and this single piece of equipment working its way through this supply chain all the way to where you know it gets installed and all the possible opportunities an adversary could install a backdoor, uh, install a vulnerability, um, take advantage of that system so that when it reaches its final destination, the issue is already there. And this is an attempt to try to prevent that from happening and securing our supply chain. And it's, it's probably pretty aggressive I'm not going to speak to how necessary or unnecessary it is, but it's a very interesting story nonetheless, and it will be interesting to see how utilities are able to overcome not being able to purchase equipment from companies in China that they otherwise always purchase from. Sure. Yeah, I know. I mean, it's really interesting. You know, just in, in general, when you talk about supply chain, you know, uh, failure rate is an important part of selecting a supplier. You want to know what the rate is that you can expect that how many, you know, out of 10,000 units that you purchase from a company, how many of those are going to fail. Mm -hmm. And that's an important concept of it. But now here we're talking about purchasing completely operational units from companies, you know, in these certain areas that have capabilities that you didn't want. Yeah. For example, like having those back doors installed, yeah. being able to be compromised yeah, at, at a moment's notice. might not even be the right word. Um, but yeah. No, no, it's not because it's not exactly on a, on a sales form yeah. or anything like that <laughs> on a promotional uh, ad. But uh, yeah, it's interesting and it's, and it's part of and it ties directly into the strong security that we were talking about before. But, you know, really any company that's purchasing technological hardware need to be aware that this is an issue and they need to be examining their own supply chains for their own products, not just not just these industrial control systems. Yeah, I, you know, these are these are products that regular Americans walking around are really not going to encounter unless you have a job in the utility industry or some kind of you know factory industry. But in a lot of ways, they're the backbone of our existence. Absolutely, an invisible backbone. The invisible backbone. Yeah, we all expect the lights to turn on. We all expect our internet to work. You know, you say, all right, you have a vulnerability in one little transformer out in the field somewhere, probably not that big of a deal. But, you know, if every utility is buying 100 transformers from the same company and that company uses the same supply chain 
with this one bad guy in the mix able to you know drop his semiconductor chip onto a, a board somewhere that allows him to phone into that piece of equipment or all of those pieces of equipment at the same time you know that could that could be very devastating <laughs> what, what i think is going to be the most interesting to to come out of this though is how utilities are going to overcome this challenge right are they're going to have to find new vendors they're going to have to procure new equipment and that is not easy. yeah which is a lot easier said than done yeah a lot easier uh, said than done a lot easier yeah yeah. So that's uh, that's all I had. Uh, I want to take another short break. And when we come back, we will wrap it up. I want to finish up today's episode by trying to help the listener out. Uh, this won't apply to everybody. Some of you will tell me, yeah, yeah, I already did this, or I the phone does it automatically. But Android the other day came out with a really big security package with a ton of updates. Um, John says that it's not as many updates as it does any other month, but I noticed it because <laughs> – it actually turned my phone off and on, which is something that updates don't usually do very often. And so I wanted to try and help the listener out. Um, if you have an Android phone, please pick it up. If you're, it's not already in your hand, go to settings, about phone, Android version. And then when you click Android version, you should see Android security patch level as an item. And under that item, you should see one of two options. You should see either July 1, 2020 or July 5, 2020. If you see anything else, you probably have an update waiting for you. I guess I'll also preface too that this is dependent if you are running Android versions 8, 9, or 10. If you're running something older than that, probably time to update. Uh, but you most likely won't see this security update. I read some of the vulnerabilities that it takes care of. It definitely seems very necessary, and I want to try to help the listener out. So settings, about phone, Android version, Android security patch level. And if you don't see July 1, 2020 or July 5, 2020, uh, you probably need to update and go through that process. should take you about 10, 15, 20 minutes at the most. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it's really crucial, Jason. I think this goes towards everyone's devices. Part of what we were speaking about earlier in the episode was about how that European utility company had a, a security mindset. Yeah. And part of that security mindset is making sure that you're taking advantage of the latest updates from the trusted manufacturers of your equipment. And it only takes a minute to check what version you're running of your Android software on your phone. And uh, it's just update. There's no reason not to. And uh, it's your first line of defense against protecting from malware is having is letting Google update and patch the vulnerabilities in your phone. Absolutely. So so go update your phone. It's uh, you should be doing it rel relatively frequently. Yeah. Well said. So we come to the end, John. I want to end these episodes always the same way because I love holding myself accountable. And I know that you are into a lot of cool things. So 
what do you have going on this week? So, Jason, we, we talked a little bit about my, my adventures in home networking. <laughs> and I am in a good place right now awesome. in my home networking. And by good place, I mean that I'm not going to touch anything. Yeah. <laughs> because I might, I might break it again. Yeah, it's not broke. Don't fix it. Unless you need to patch, of course. <laughs> Unless I need to patch it. That's, yeah. But I'm not, I'm not touching wires, not touching anything else. What I am going to do is I am keen to start tinkering around with that Arduino board. Yeah. That you would, uh, so graciously uh, shared with me uh, a few weeks ago now i am i'm gonna pick a project to start working on and hopefully get that project off the ground yeah. and and get there i might not be done by the next time we talk but uh but that's my goal what about you what are you working on this week i can't wait to hear about your arduino project i <laughs> am going to sit patiently by the front door and wait for amazon to develop uh deliver my new led strip lighting uh, so I can start tinkering oh. with it. I've watched plenty of videos at this point, uh, and I have some ideas on kind of what I want to do with it, but I, I got to get started, uh, hook it up, play with it. But uh, yeah, should, very cool. should be here Friday. So fingers crossed. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. <laughs> Waiting for the update on that too. Yeah, so. yep. That's the Router Podcast. I appreciate you all listening. Uh, We're going to come back next week with some new topics and some new tidbits that hopefully leave everybody a little bit smarter and a little bit more aware uh, in the field of tech and cybersecurity. And I hope you join us. Uh, Be sure to reach out, uh, therouterpodcast at gmail.com. And we are also on Twitter. And I look forward to hearing from you. Have a great week, everybody. Thanks, John. All right. Thanks, Jason.